invite you to turn in your copy of Scripture to our sermon text this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. And there we read, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. As I wrote in the bulletin, we will uh, conclude our series through Philippians, through this wonderful letter next Sunday. And we will conclude by uh, looking specifically next Sunday at what Paul writes in verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, In preparation for next Sunday, maybe uh, this week, you can be looking through some of the theology books that you have at home, looking into what it means that we give uh, God glory and that God receives glory. What does it mean for us to glorify him? Um, there are also great resources, I know, on the Internet that will help you to begin uh, thinking about this, oh, that wonderful subject. This morning... We are going to look at these concluding verses, and in doing so, I want us to begin by noting the way that Paul described his relationship with the Philippians. Notice in our text, he described it as a partnership, specifically there in verse 15. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. You may recall that Paul and his companions planted the church in Philippi, and then after the church was planted, Paul left, and he continued his uh, missionary journeys. He returned to Philippi, we know, at least twice during his ministry to encourage those in the church, but, you know, he didn't stay long with them. Uh, Paul was an apostle. He was a sent one. He was uh, one who Christ was sending throughout the known world at the time uh, to reach people, groups, and to preach to them the gospel. And as Paul was, was traveling all over the world, preaching the gospel and, and planting churches, what we know is that his connection with the church in Philippi was always a strong connection. In fact, uh, God used this small church in Philippi to provide Paul with uh, the money and with the supplies that he needed in order to carry on his ministry, in order to continue his missionary journeys. Um, there's a 
saying that I've heard before, uh, maybe you've heard it as well, the saying is that it takes money to make money. The idea is that you have to have some money, some capital, in order to uh, be able to make investments and, and to buy equipment that's necessary in order to, to grow your wealth. Well, we can you know, tweak that saying a bit so that it applies to what Paul is, is describing in this text. We can say that it takes money uh, to do ministry, especially the work of missions. For Paul, this involved the costs of his food and, and of his daily needs, the needs that he had, uh, plus the cost of the voyages that, uh, that he, he had to take as he was sailing uh, across uh, the known world at that time, docking in different ports and preaching the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And at this point in time in his life, as he was writing to the Philippians, you know, he needed support, financial support, because he was in prison. And as you may recall, as we've noted through this series, that Paul was writing this letter from prison because he was preaching the gospel, he was arrested. And while he was in prison, he was dependent on the kindness and the generosity of other Christians to provide for his needs. Um, prisoners in the ancient world weren't provided with you know, three hot meals a day, cable TV, and a warm bed. Uh, no, the conditions in the prisons were horrific. They were completely dependent on outside help. And that's exactly what Paul received from the church in Philippi. They generously uh, sent him money and supplies throughout his ministry in order to sustain him so that he might be freed up to focus on uh, planting uh, churches and preaching the gospel. And so here, Paul writes to thank them. This is a thank you letter. We read in verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, the amazing thing about the church in Philippi is that they not only supplied Paul on this occasion while he was in prison, but they supplied him in many other ways and different occasions as well. Um, there are actually two occasions that he notes here in verses 15 through 16. Note in verse 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So Paul is saying here that after he left the church in Philippi, which was in the city of Macedonia, the area of Macedonia, when he left Philippi to continue his mission work, Paul says, you know, there was no other church that entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. It's the church in Philippi at that time was the only church that was supporting him financially in his mission work. And he goes on to note in verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And Paul is referring to uh, what happened while he was Leaving Philippi, he went to a city named Thessalonica. We read about it in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Uh, through nine. And there in Thessalonica, he, he spent several weeks preaching the gospel. And during his stay in that city in Thessalonica, which didn't last for very long, 
the Philippians were sending their financial support to him. Again, so that he might be freed up to carry on his ministry work. And I want to read the account of how the church in Thessalonica was founded. Again, it's found in this, the account is found in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. The longer reading, if you would like to follow along. Acts chapter 17, we read, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So, you see that during his short stay there in Thessalonica, and because of his preaching, a church began to form in that city. Did you catch what Paul uh, explains and what we read, what Luke explains in verse 4 in Acts chapter 17? We read there, And some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. And we even have... two letters in the New Testament to the church in Thessalonica that, that we see how the church was growing and, and developing. It was a strong church that Paul established there in Thessalonica. It was a healthy church, and it was a little bit wonky on their view on the end times, but all in all, it was a, it was a strong, true church. Well, friends, you know, why is all this important? Why is it important as we look at how Paul left Philippi and then was preaching and then landed in Thessalonica, was able to continue his uh, ministerial endeavors and missionary endeavors. Why is all this important? Well, it's important because Paul notes that he and the Philippians were in partnership. They were, we might say, working together. The word there is translated uh, fellowship. They were working together for the same goal. And through the partnership that they had, the church in Thessalonica was formed. We need to see that connection. That's why, a, we, we, that's why it's called a partnership here, right? A partnership is, is just that. It's two people or sometimes it could be two groups who are working together for the same goals. And Paul, as he's writing to the Philippians, he says to this church, hey, you and I, we are working together for the same goal to make Christ known. This partnership involved the Philippians supporting Paul financially, and it involved Paul being faithful to his calling as, a, as an apostle, and they were working together 
to make Christ known, and in their partnership together, the church and Thessalonica was established. There was that partnership and an agreement to work together to spread the gospel so that Christ might be made known. See, according, loved ones, according to God's decree, you might say, if we look at it from an eternal perspective, according to God's decree and his, his plan, that church in, in Thessalonica had to be planted. Uh, God's elect in that city, they were ordained from before the foundation of the world to come to faith. And the means, the means that God used to bring them to faith was what? Paul's preaching, and it was the faithful giving of those in Philippi, that church that was supporting Paul. It was that partnership that God used to bring his elect to faith in Thessalonica. The Philippians and Paul were working together to fulfill the great commission. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus gave this commission to his church before he ascended into heaven. We read about it in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Loved ones, as we consider this great commission text and the passage that is before us this morning from Philippians, uh, we need to think this way in our own support of missionaries and ministries as a church. Because, you know, by God's grace, uh, we were able significantly this uh, year to increase our financial support as a church to uh, our missionaries. That was, that was something that, that we wanted to do as a church especially as a session for many years. And by God's grace, we were able to increase our giving to our missionaries, our support this year. And we significantly increased the financial support for our missionaries this year because we believe in the Great Commission. We see that part of fulfilling that commission involves supporting missionaries and ministries throughout the world. Because yes, we do share the gospel with our family members and our friends personally and our neighbors, but we are also we are also partnering with missionaries throughout the world. We partner with them as a church in prayer. We partner with them uh, through financial support, uh, through phone calls and, and through letters. Why do we do this? We do this because we are working together in a partnership like Paul and the Philippians to make Christ known, to spread the gospel. And, you know, I, I love the missionaries that we partner with here at Grace and the vision, the vision that each of our missionary families have for the gospel. You think of the calls, the calls who have uh, labored for many years in Uruguay, doing the work of evangelism, of church planting, of leadership development, of discipleship. And now the calls are praying about whether God is calling them to another location to minister in Latin America, and, and the Dolfrids. Uh, what a wonderful vision Carl Dolfrid has of completing his PhD and then returning to Thailand to teach in the seminary and to directly influence the future pastors 
that will go throughout all of Asia preaching the gospel. What a wonderful vision. And the Ebies. We think about the Ebies who labor so faithfully in Uganda at Africa Reformation Theological Seminary. You know, they too, they are influencing the future pastors who will soon go out throughout all of Africa with the gospel. You know, as a, as a session, we're now looking into ways that we as a church can, can partner even more directly with the EBs and the seminary there in Uganda to provide even more support in the coming years. Friends, we need to, to see what God is doing through our church and through his church throughout the world. Is we are uh, in this relationship with our missionaries. We're in a fellowship in the gospel. It's a partnership. When we give our tithes and offerings, loved ones, we need to see that God is using our giving for his glory, that the name of Christ might be manifested among nations. So we need to see our partnership with other believers. And secondly, we need to trust in God's provision as we give to the work of the ministry. As Paul, we see here, thanks to the Philippians for their financial support, uh, he underlines the fact that they gave not just to Paul, but they were giving to the Lord. That their contributions were offerings presented to God himself. Notice in verse 18, Paul writes, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts he sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, and pleasing to God. Now, uh, what does that wording sound like to you? It sounds like the Old Covenant sacrifices, right? These words are reminiscent of, of how, God, uh, how Noah responded to, to God's salvation when God delivered Noah and his family from uh, the judgment of the flood. We read in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 22, uh, and this took place after the flood, after God's salvation. We read, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. We read about how God responded to Noah's sacrifice. It was pleasing in his sight. Now Noah's sacrifice, you need to understand, he didn't offer these things to the Lord in order to earn points with God. No, it was... It was an expression of his gratitude for God's grace and mercy, again, for the salvation that God had provided for him and his family. For Noah, it was a sacrifice of praise. Now, for those of us now living in the new covenant, we do not offer bloody animals in praise to God anymore, like Noah did. But by the mercies of God, we are called to offer ourselves to the Lord, to offer our lives to him, to offer him our time and our possessions, that he might use these things for his glory. 
Paul explains this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. He writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we, we do this, loved ones, knowing that it is God who has provided all that we have and all that we will ever need. You know, our stuff is not our stuff. It's God's stuff. And he gives and, and he takes away according to his good pleasure. What he calls us to do is to be faithful stewards of all that he has entrusted to our care. And, and we are to be generous, therefore, because God is generous toward us. He graciously provides for all of our physical needs in abundance. And he has so graciously provided for all of our spiritual needs, even greater abundance, because we have Christ, loved ones. We have Christ and all of his benefits. If you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 1, you know that verses 3 through 14 of that chapter are this is magnificent praise to the Lord for the salvation that we have received in Christ. It's one long sentence, verses, 13 through, uh, verses 3 through 14. But I love the way that it begins there in verse 3. Paul begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God, we read there, God has not held anything back from us. See, every blessing, every benefit is ours through Christ. What Paul says in verse 19 of our passage this morning, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So loved ones, we, we can... And we can and we must give generously, freely, joyfully, consistently, knowing that all that we have is from the Lord and that all that we give to him is pleasing in his sight. Having noted our partnership in worldwide gospel ministry and God's provision for us to enter into this partnership with others, I want us to lastly consider the kingdom's expansion the kingdom's expansion. Because one of the wonderful benefits of partnering with others in ministry is seeing the fruit of that ministry, is it not? At our church, we publish uh, the newsletters that we get from our uh, missionaries. We publish the newsletters in, in grace notes. And oftentimes, we see how their work is bearing fruit. As people are coming to faith in Latin America and in Thailand and as men are graduating from the seminary in Uganda, equipped for gospel ministry, you know, we read these updates from our missionaries and, and we say, praise God, the kingdom of God is, is expanding. We see the fruits of, of their ministries and of our partnership with them. And you know, that's what Paul expresses here. But he expresses it in a very subtle way and it's almost easy to miss if you're not paying attention. Uh, he says there in verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially 
those of Caesar's household. Especially those of Caesar's household. Those in Caesar's household included the relatives of Caesar, uh, who was the emperor of Rome, and all of his guards and servants, his accountants and his entourage. And, and you see what Paul is saying. He's saying to the church in Philippi, hey, there are, there are saints, there are believers among Caesar's household. There are people who have come to faith because I have been preaching the gospel, even among those who are in Caesar's entourage. This is Paul's newsletter, we might say, to the Philippians, showing them the fruit of their partnership. You know, if, if this were today, Paul would probably send like a selfie with one of the Praetorian guards, you know, who had just converted to Christ, saying, look at, people are coming to faith because of, of the ministry. Paul is demonstrating the power of the gospel, that even those in Caesar's household, even the Greeks and, and slaves and people from all over the world were hearing the word of Christ, and they were being powerfully but pleasantly drawn to repentance and faith by the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful to see the fruit of ministry, isn't it? But, you know, we also have to say that sometimes we don't always see the fruit of ministry so visibly. There are numerous stories of missionaries and of faithful Christians who ministered in an area for years and saw just a few conversions, if any, during their lifetimes. But we also read similar accounts of such things happening, and then successive generations in those areas where the churches grew rapidly. They grew rapidly because those missionaries had been faithful for so many years to sow the seed of the word, and though they didn't see the fruit immediately in their lifetimes, successive generations of people benefited from those churches that were planted, the word that was sown. Friends, what we see is that the kingdom of God is expanding at this very moment. At this very moment, people are coming to faith throughout the world through gospel partnerships and through the faithful ministries of Christian parents and, and missionaries and, and pastors and evangelists and teachers and through Christians like you and me who, who talk to neighbors and family members and, and friends about the gospel. Christ shall have dominion. We've sung that all month. We have been confidently singing it all month. He shall have dominion over land and sea. Earth's remotest regions shall his empires be. All praise and all glory be to him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich truth of your word that so clearly reveals Christ and all of his benefits. We praise you for your provision and kindness, and we pray that you would help us to be more generous in our giving. We pray for the continued spread of the gospel, for the, continued, for the conversion of sinners, and for our own growth in grace. May you be our all in all, and may you bless us now, we pray, as we partake of this spiritual feast before us. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen.